Amen. Good morning, Summit Bible Church. It's good to be with you this morning. My garden is doing well. I'm glad that you've asked. My plant beds, they're thriving. I've got green plants, not brown ones. And they're even producing some fruit. Well, vegetables. So, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying my new hobby here. And hopefully the weather gets warmer. It's just so strange, isn't it? Now, it was 90 yesterday and today, 70s. Uh, but we're working with it. You know, I hear that, um, that you need to watch out for aphids with your vegetables. Anybody familiar with gardening? You know what the little aphid is? Aphid, this tiny little insect, uh, they just sit on your leaves and they eat at it. They eat away your vegetable plant. They're tiny, you can barely see them. And uh, sure enough, before you know it, if you get enough aphids on your plant, it'll go from a, a full, you know, lustrous plant to tiny stems in, within a couple of days. These aphids are dangerous to gardens. And uh, I, I'm told I have to watch out for them. But do you know what, what's interesting? Do you know what kills aphids? Do you know what eats them? I heard it, ladybugs. Ladybugs will eat the aphids. Ladybugs are helpful to your garden. They will eat those little boogers that uh, kill your plants and they actually help the produce produce. The question I have for you today is are you an aphid or are you a ladybug? Do you contribute to the health of the church or do you just take, 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 eat, eat, eat until it deteriorates? Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter four? Ephesians chapter four, we've been looking at the signs of a healthy church. The signs and marks of a healthy church. Let's do a quick review. Our first message. We found out that a healthy church walks worthy of the calling. A healthy church walks worthy of the calling. That is that a healthy church seeks to measure up to the incredible calling that it's been given in Jesus Christ. Secondly, we learned that a healthy church is zealously united in patient love. Who came up with that title? That was me. That's, that's a mouthful. Zealously united in patient love, we are seeking to maintain unity and seeking to bear with one another. Be patient. Thirdly, last week, we lear learned that a healthy church has a variety in the unity. Unity does not mean homogeneity. It does not mean uniformity. There's a variety. There's diversity in the unity, and that's good. That's the way that God made it. A variety of gifts in the church contribute to the whole. The fourth message, our message today, write this title down, a healthy church is equipped. There it is, simple enough. A healthy church is equipped. And we're in Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12 this morning. You know, a, a strong military squad needs a good staff sergeant to train them up for battle. A strong business division needs a good division manager 
to develop the team for success. A strong offense needs a good offensive coordinator to prepare the offense for the big game. I think you get the point. A healthy church needs gifted ministers to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. Look at Ephesians 4, 11 with me. It says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. I'd like you to write this question down, would you? Write down this question. Am I doing my job? Am I doing my job? Am I contributing to the growth of the church? Am I doing my job? I watched an interesting documentary about the coaching friendship of Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. Two of the most winningest coaches, really, of all time. You have Bill Belichick, coach of the New England Patriots. You have Nick Saban, college football coach, Alabama Crimson Tide. You know, regardless of your opinions of them, I know it's hard to like the Patriots. It's hard to like a team that wins all the time. I understand, John. You can't argue that they're good coaches. And you look at their friendship, it's kind of unique. It was interesting to watch. But one of the staple sayings that these coaches used, interesting, one of the staple sayings that both coaches use when they're coaching their players is this, very simple, do your job. They tell their players, do your job. Fulfill your role. Do your responsibility. And if each player does their job, the team can't lose. The team will succeed. And it's as simple as that. If each player does his job, plays his role, we can't lose. Christian, are you doing your job? Each of us has been given a gift, a role to play in the church. And if each of us does our job, fulfills our role, then the church will grow. And we'll be in line with the will of our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. So are you doing your job? Two verses here, verse 11 and 12, and we have two points. Simple enough. Point number one, the gifts. The gifts. Look here at verse 11. He gave. Let's stop there and just note who the he is. Do you remember who the he is? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The ascended, a Lord Jesus Christ. It's the one who's seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Ephesians 1.22, the head over all things to the church, which is his body. We should stop here to note that the church belongs to Jesus Christ. The authority, the leadership in the church comes under the head, Jesus Christ. It's his church. You are his sheep. We are, as elders, his ministers. And we do everything for his glory and according to his will. Because Jesus, God, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross in our place, made the ultimate sacrifice to pay for our sins. He rose from the dead, declaring victory over sin and death, and he has ascended. 
to the right hand of the Father. This is true. This is not a fairy tale. This is the way of salvation, Jesus Christ. And he is the ultimate authority in his church. He gave, it says here. He gave. What did Jesus Christ give as he ascended? Well, last week we saw that Jesus Christ gave us the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that in John 17, the, or sorry, John 16, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. He said, it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come. And in Acts 2, at Pentecost, we see the fulfillment of that promise. The Holy Spirit did come. So Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. Last week, we saw that Jesus gave us each unique giftedness. We have all been given a measure of grace according to the gift of Christ. And this week, we see that Jesus gives gifted ministers. Gifted ministers. Look at verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Write this down. Ministers are not made by men. They are given by God. Ministers are not made by men. They are given by God. It's not a job that you get promoted into. You know, some might say, well, you know, I've been an outstanding member of the church for 20 years. I should, I should be an elder now. No, they're not made by men. It are, these are gifts from God. Not every person is called into vocational ministry. Not every person has these gifts that are listed out here. They are God-given gifts. They're not manufactured, they're not earned, and they don't necessarily always translate from the business world. You know, some people think, you know, a, a man is a prominent leader in business, therefore he should be an elder in a church. No, that's not the case. Just because a man is a good public speaker or he has some talent, some social skills, doesn't make him a good Bible teacher. These are gifts given from God, not made or manufactured by men. Early in my ministry, I was bivocational, so I had to work a full-time job, and then I also served as the leader of high school ministry at our church for a very short amount of time. And for a short amount of time, I actually, um, I, I worked for a boss who was also on my high school staff. So it was interesting. I was his subordinate at, in the workplace and he was my subordinate in the ministry. Kind of a funny relationship, but we were good friends so it worked out. Anyways, my boss was a, was a well-to-do businessman. He was, a, he was an effective leader. I mean, this man would walk into a room, into a meeting, and he would own the room. He was strong. He was actually a good presenter. Um, he was just an effective, skilled businessman. He was an entrepreneur, started this business, and so on and so forth. So I remember going to him early in the ministry and said, hey, would you be willing to teach our youth class on Sunday? He kind of hesitated. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. I said, no, 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 you'll be fine. You're a good public speaker. You do well socially. Uh, you should teach our, our Sunday school class. Sure enough, this guy gets up there to teach the Sunday school class, and it was bad. I mean, this man was stutter, stuttering over his words. He could not put a point together. It was disorganized, lacked clarity. It was not a good message. And I learned that day a valuable lesson. 
Don't try to shove a square peg through a round hole. Just because, again, a man is gifted or maybe talented would be a better word in the business world doesn't make him an effective leader in the church or even a Bible teacher in the church. These are spiritual gifts given from God. That's the point. They're not manufactured or made by men. And think about the fact that these ministers are gifts. I mean, what do you do with a gift? When somebody gives you a gift, maybe coming on Mother's Day, you have a Mother's Day gift, you mothers are gonna receive some gifts. Your birthday, whenever you get a gift, what's the proper response? Well, thankfulness, right? Gratitude, oh, thank you so much. That's so kind. I'm thankful for this gift that you've given us. Think about the reality that ministers are gifts given to us by Christ. How should we respond then to those gifted ministers? How should we treat ministers in our life? We should be thankful. We should be grateful. Uh, Personally, I read this passage, I look at Ephesians 4.11, and I think of gifted men in my life who played this role, and I'm so grateful for them. I'll just name a few. John Stead, the evangelist. I mean, this man taught me how to evangelize and have a passion to reach the lost with the gospel. I think about Chris Mueller, my pastor of 15 years, being a faithful shepherd. I think about Sean Farrell, the man in my life who I think is the top five, in my top five list of greatest preachers that I know, and he invested into me. He poured his life into me. These men worked hard for me. They prayed for me. They carried burdens for me. They helped me out of spiritual ditches. They encouraged me on the spiritual mountaintops. They set an incredible example for me, and I'm so thankful for these men. Sometimes I I forget what a gift these men are in my life. And I just want to encourage you, not for my sake as your teaching pastor, but even for the sake of fellow elders and shepherds that I serve alongside, are you thankful? Are you grateful for the gifts that God has given us in faithful evangelists, shepherds, and Bible teachers? Hebrews thirteen seventeen says this, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. What an incredible responsibility. What a massive burden. And so the author follows up with this, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So we ought to honor, to be thankful for those leaders that God has gifted and placed into our lives for our good. Now on the flip side, we as shepherds, teachers, evangelists, the gifted ministers in the church, even though we're literally God's gift to the church, we shouldn't act that way. There's nothing to boast about. There's no reason for us to be put on a pedestal. We don't get any credit for anything we didn't do. Remember, these were gifts given to us to steward, not to lord over people. God gets the glory for any good that comes out of the gifts that he has given. Remember Ephesians 2.10, we're his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Even the good things we do was God prepared. We don't get credit for anything. And so we say in Ephesians 3.21, to him be the glory in the church. No man should receive glory except for the God-man, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So Christ gives us 
these ministers. They are gifts from him directly. So let's look at these five gifted ministers, shall we? We have five gifted ministers listed here. He gave first the apostles. The apostles. Apostles are Christ's messengers to establish the early church. To establish the early church. In Acts chapter 1, 26, we get a list of the 12. Um, by the way, remember Judas was replaced by Matthias. And so we have the 12, and we call them the capital A apostles. This is the, these are the uh, office of apostle in the scriptures, including Paul, who was once Saul. So Paul was an apostle. And then you see in the scriptures, there are other um, who have the gift of apostleship, but maybe don't have the office, we would say. And so we'd say they're lowercase apostles. You have men like Barnabas, Acts chapter 14, men like James in Galatians 1, Apollos in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, and 9, and then Andronicus. Hey, that's a good name, babe. We should, the boy Andronicus. <laughs> Write that one down. Andrunia. Yeah, not, maybe not so good. Uh, Romans 16, 7. Apostles are Christ's messengers to establish the early church. Very important. Gift number two that's listed, prophets. Prophets. Prophets are Christ's speakers to encourage, exhort, and comfort the early church with divine revelation. 1 Corinthians 14, 3 gives the job description of a prophet. It says this, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, for their encouragement, and for consolation. The New Testament prophet is not a babbler. He's not just speaking random nonsense. He's purposeful, speaking on behalf of God, divine revelation for the church's upbuilding, for their encouragement and consolation. Now, these two gifts... We've already covered in Ephesians 2 their foundational gifts. They're foundational. They were for the specific purpose of establishing the early church. We believe here at Summit Bible Church that they have since ceased, that they're no longer in function. They ceased with the dying off of the apostles and the completion of the New Testament canon. So we don't see these gifts in practice today. And if you want more information on that, you can look back uh, listen back to Ephesians 2.20, that, that message that I did on Ephesians 2.20. And also, you could talk to me after service. But for the purpose of this uh, passage, I just want to highlight the importance of these gifts. Think about how important and crucial these gifts were for the establishing of the early church. You have 12 men commissioned by Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all the nations. And these men go out and they do exactly what Jesus called them to do. They, in fact, established churches in Jerusalem and then out to Samaria and then into Asia Minor and then into Western and even Eastern Europe. They did all of this on behalf of Christ. These men authored the scriptures. The apostles are the reason that you hold a copy of the scriptures on your lap. Prophets spoke the very words of God at a time without the printing press, at a time without multiple copies of the Bible? Think about that. You know, right now, when somebody asks you a question about the Bible, you have a copy of the scriptures in your hands. You could pull up a verse on your phone. Think about a time when those things didn't exist. 
How did people hear the word of God? Prophets. Prophets in the church who spoke the words of God in an orderly fashion. And for, again, the upbuilding, encouragement, and edification of the church. So we are surrounded by just a cloud of witnesses that we read about in the scriptures. These faithful men who went before us. And we can thank the Lord Jesus Christ for his apostles and prophets who laid a firm foundation for us to stand upon. We would not be the church. The church would not be alive and well today without these men. So we can thank the Lord for them when we read about them in the scriptures. And then Paul lists three more gifts here that are for today that we believe are in function in the church. The next gift we have here are evangelists. These are Christ's proclaimers who share the gospel with those who have not yet heard and believed. We have an example in the scripture of Philip the evangelist. Do you remember Philip? He's the one who preached the gospel out to Samaria, and he's the one who preached the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch on the road to Gaza. He was an evangelist, a proclaimer of the gospel to those who have not heard. Have you ever met a true evangelist? Somebody that's just built for it, gifted by God for it. They're passionate about reaching the lost with the gospel. They're so zealous about it. They're gifted in going out and bringing in. I've met a few in my life. One of them, Eddie Roman. It's funny, his wife will tell, uh, his wife has told the story that, you know, I get hangry when I'm hungry. I get a little upset, a little frustrated. Anybody with me? Anybody want to be honest and say you get hangry? I get hangry. You know what's funny about Eddie? His wife will say this. Eddie gets frustrated. He gets upset when he's not able to go out and evangelize. If he misses an evangelism weekend, he gets grumpy about it. And so his wife actually, for his own good, makes sure that he's out evangelizing. That's how passionate this man is about sharing Christ. It's just a part of how he's made He's gifted this way. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, doesn't that mean that I'm off the hook? If we've got evangelists out there, men who are gifted for this, well, then I don't have to do nothing, right? I can sit back and let these guys do all the work. Does that mean that we're off the hook? The answer is no, right? Just because somebody is particularly gifted in compassion and mercy doesn't mean the rest of us have to ignore it. We've still got to grow in those areas, right, of compassion, mercy. But these men are specifically gifted in that area. I think 2 Corinthians 5, he makes a pretty compelling case that we who have been reconciled to God have been given a ministry of reconciliation. We're ambassadors for Christ, all of us. And so all of us should evangelize, but these men stand out as gifted and set apart for this ministry. The next gift we see here are shepherds. Shepherds, these are Christ's leaders who protect and provide for his church. What does a shepherd do? I mean, the literal job of a shepherd, they lead sheep, right? They protect the sheep, and then they provide for the sheep. They lead them by green pastures. They lead them to still waters. A shepherd's job is to protect and provide, and they do this by leading the church Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of the church, Hebrews 13 tells us. He's the chief shepherd, 1 Peter 5, 4 tells us. And so shepherds 
protect the church from false teachers, from false doctrine. And shepherds also provide for the church by teaching them the word of God, equipping them with the word of God. By the way, the shepherd is no different from the elder. Elders are shepherds. What's the command for elders in 1 Peter 5? That they shepherd the flock. So this is the elder, the elders of the church, those who lead the church under shepherds of Christ, but they lead and shepherd the flock of Christ. And they're gifted particularly to do so. Then that last gift we have here are teachers. Teachers are Christ's expositors. Ezra sets a great, great example of what a teacher does. Ezra 7.10, Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So what does a teacher do? They study the word of God. Then they apply it to their own life. They do it and then they teach it. They instruct others in the word of God. You know, this is, this is maybe seen as the glamorous job in churches, right? The Bible teacher, he's the person often that's up front, gets all the attention, and it seems like the glam job, but James chapter three actually sets the record straight of the immense responsibility that it is to teach God's word. James 3.1 says this, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater judgment. That's a significant weight, isn't it? For a teacher, a Bible teacher. It's not something that we should do haphazardly. We don't just throw somebody up to teach God's word to people. I learned that lesson the hard way early on. But these are men and women for women who are particularly gifted in teaching God's word. So there you have it. Five persons gifted to the church. Two of the gifts, apostles and prophets, we believe are foundational gifts, and that is they have since ceased. But the others, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, are in use and for today. I gotta ask you, are you any of those? Are you an evangelist? You have a burning desire to reach the lost, to go out and evangelize people with the gospel? Is that your gift? Are you a shepherd? Do you have a heart, a strong heart to care for the sheep? It's not about a position. It's not being the leader in the church. It's about people. Are you a teacher? Do you have a strong desire to exposit, to preach and teach God's word? Maybe some of you ladies have a strong desire to do that for other ladies. Men, maybe you have a desire to preach God's word, to teach it to others. Are these your gifts? I'd encourage you to try to figure out if they are. To use them in small capacities, in small groups, and look for the affirmation of others around you. These are critical gifts and important for the growth and upbuilding of the church. I wanna note something that's very important. What do you see as the common thread throughout all these gifts? What is the common thread? 
Christ is obviously in their title, so Christ gives these gifts. But what's the common thread in what they do? I'll, I'll just give it to you. They all have a ministry of the word. They all have a ministry of the word. Apostles were Christ's messengers of his word. Prophets were Christ's speakers of his word. Evangelists are Christ's proclaimers of his good news word, the gospel. The shepherds are Christ's leaders with the word. And teachers are Christ's expositors of the word of God. These are ministers of the word, which is significant. Put that in your back pocket and keep that for in a couple minutes when we get around to it, okay? So these are all ministers of God's word. These are the gifts that Christ has given to the church. Our next point, going into the next verse, is the work. What do they do? What's their job description? What are these gifts given to the church for? What's the work of the evangelist, the shepherd, the teacher? What's the work of every gifted saint, even those who are not evangelists, shepherds, and teachers? Your job description is in this verse too. And remember the question we're asking ourselves. Am I doing my job? Am I doing my job? All right, so the work is given in three successive parts here. Number one, first, preparation. Preparation. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to do what? To equip the saints. To equip the saints. This Greek word for equip means to prepare, to make ready. We see the word used in the context of furnishing or preparing a room. We also see the word used in Matthew chapter 4 and Mark 1 when James and John were mending their nets. They were preparing them. So that is the work of the gifted minister. Think about those two pictures in mind, mending nets for fishing, furnishing a room for hosting, to get something ready or someone ready to prepare them for action. You know, a good staff sergeant doesn't just give his squad a weapon or give the members of the squad a weapon and say, hey, go out and use it. Figure it out. Go out onto the battlefield and make it happen. No, what does he do? He gives a weapon and then he teaches the soldier how to use the weapon. There's a lot of preparation that goes in to preparing a soldier for battle. You practice with the weapon. You go through different drills, strategic scenarios, simulations, so that the soldier is best prepared. Similarly, how do evangelists, shepherds, and teachers prepare the saints for the work of ministry? What is the weapon that they give the saints? Pull that card out of your back pocket. The word of God. The word of God is the weapon or the tool by which we equip the saints. And we don't just give you the weapon as evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. We teach you how to use it. We practice. We go through different drills, different scenarios, simulations, so that the saint is best prepared for battle. The weapon is the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 
You know this passage. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged, what? Sword. Ephesians 6, 17. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All scripture is breathed out by God, and it's all profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, there's our word, equipped for every good work. What is our tool? What is our weapon by which we give the saints, we equip the saints with? It is the word of God. Nothing else. We've got nothing else to offer. (laughs) Not our opinions, not what we think is best, We hand down the deposit, the word of God, to build up and equip the saints for the work of ministry. Our job is to give it to you. Our job is to teach you how to use it, to read it, to know it, to study it, to meditate on it, and apply it in your life. There are a variety of forms that we do this. It's not, you know, primarily through the preaching on Sundays from the pulpit, but also in growth groups as we look at biblical topics in men's and women's studies in small groups, and even individual discipleship lessons. It's all centered on the word of God because we've got nothing else to give. And I'm wholeheartedly convinced, more so now than ever, that my job as a pastor is to strive to do my very best to increase your knowledge of God through his word. That's my job. It's not to give you my opinions again. It's not to teach you to do all the tricks and tricks of the trade, and all the gadgets of ministry, it is to equip you with the word of God so that you would know it, love it, and apply it in your life. You know, we as elders are striving together in this endeavor. We're all shepherds, right? Even some of our elders are are joining, starting an intensive training program this fall called the Training Center so that they can be further equipped with God's word so that they can then equip others Know this, that when we see a hole in somebody's net, or we see a a room unfinished in somebody's life, we're going to give them the word. If there's a counseling situation, or, you know, an opportunity to disciple someone, again, we are going to give them the word of God, which is authoritative and sufficient to equip us for every good work. Now, how can you help us with that? How can you help us with that? It's as simple as this. Be hungry for it. Be hungry for the word of God. Develop an appetite to be fed by God's word. Not self-help books, not this blog, that blog, or the other thing. Not social media, but develop a healthy appetite for God's word. To be fed. In order for you to do that, by the way, you've got to be in it daily. You've got to want it and grow the habit of Bible reading. Read it, study it yourself, and jump at every opportunity that you can get to grow in it. Because again, you'll only grow by the word of God. It's the tool, the weapon we hand down to equip the saints. So the first step in the work is preparation, and that is the job of the gifted ministers. The second second step in this work is service. Service. We equip the saints. Why? Or for what? For the work of ministry. 
Actually, that word that's translated ministry is diakonos. Do you remember that word? It's the Greek word for servant or slave. So it could be translated for the work of service. For the work of service. What do you mend the fishing nets for? Well, to use them, right? What do you prepare a room for to use it? What do you equip the saints for? That they would be able to use their gifts and serve one another's. Ministers are given gifts to equip. Saints are given gifts to serve. The pastors don't do all the work of ministry in the church. It's not the elder's job to do everything. No, it's our job to prepare to equip the saints, and we lead by example, but it's actually the saints' job to participate in the work of ministry and to do the work, the work of service. Too many Christians view church like it's an all-inclusive cruise ship. You know, you pay the fee at the beginning, whatever, and then you go and you just relax. You sit on the boat, you know, you look for good food, good entertainment. Feed me, pastor. Entertain me, worship leader. And then go home and basically do the same thing in a different context on your couch with a TV. Some view the church as, you know, like it's a theater. Some are like aphids sitting on the leaves and just taking, 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 taking and not giving anything back. Listen, church is more like a practice field. It's more like a laboratory, a, a workshop where we come ready to learn and then ready to serve, not be served. We come ready to learn and apply. We come ready to work. Here are some good questions to ask yourself in preparation for a church gathering. You could write these down. What does God's word have for me to learn and apply today? What people has God prepared for me to love and serve today? How can I encourage or stimulate others toward love and good deeds today? How can I help my brothers and sisters become more like Jesus today? Who can I reach? Who can I pray for? What burdens need to be carried for others? What work needs to be done? These people need me and I need them. That's the right attitude to have when coming to a church gathering. Whether it's a Sunday or a growth group or anything else. It's not looking for all the ways you can be served, but ways that you can do the work of ministry to serve others. These are good verses to remember. 1 Peter 4.10 As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Romans 12, 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. The reality is, is that the work of the shepherd is to equip you to use your gifts. We have failed you. Listen, we as shepherds have failed you. If we don't prepare you by the word of God for the work of service in the church. We failed. We've, we've not done our job. But saints, you likewise have failed. If your ongoing expectation is to come to this place and be served rather than looking out to serve others. Again, are, are we all doing our jobs? Are we doing our jobs? Cru uh, church is not a cruise ship. It's not a theater. 
It's a gathering of God's people for service. Our job is to prepare you for that, and your job is to use it and do it. Third step in this work is growth. These successive parts, if the gifted ministers are committed to preparation and the gifted saints are committed to service, the result will be growth. Growth. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, verse 12 says, for the building up of the body of Christ. There are all sorts of, uh, sorts of church growth strategies out there. Uh, you just type church growth strategy into Google and you'll get thousands and thousands and thousands of articles that say everything from smile more at the door to you need a fog machine. Everything in between. What's interesting is that, and, and we, I'm not going to go through all those reasons or what, how you can grow a church, but it's interesting that they all assume you're looking for numerical growth. Isn't that interesting? Strategies to grow a church, they're talking about numbers. Paul here is talking about spiritual growth. He's talking about maturity in the church. And by the way, there are far less articles written on that. How do you grow a church in maturity? But that's okay. We don't need the internet's articles because we have the word of God. Here's, here's the formula right here. Here's how you grow a church in its maturity. You have gifted ministers, equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the church or the body of Christ. There's the formula, so to speak, for how a church can grow, how a church can thrive. If each person does their part. What, is this, what does it mean to be built up? This word for the building up is uh, really a combo of words. House and roof are put together in the Greek. The idea is that it's built up to completion. It's finished. It's finished. So that's what we're moving towards, to be finished in Christ. If you drive into North Fontana, we're in North Fontana, I guess. You drive further north, though, you'll see a lot of what? New housing development projects, right? You'll see a lot of unfinished houses. Maybe there are some developments that have just the foundations laid and the grounds graded, and that's all they've got. Other developments have frames up. You see some wood frames. There are some housing developments that are closer to the finish. They've got, you know, the insulation in there, the utility set up, doors and windows install, installed. The point is, is that you see a progress, right? A building up of a house, moving toward a finish. The church is like an unfinished house. The foundation has been laid. And each of us has a unique part. We're a piece of this house that's coming together to finish the building. And when the ministers equip and the saints serve, we're all built up together and there's progress. You know, any general contractor will tell you now, one of the more frustrating things is when a subcontractor doesn't do their job. When you've hired them to take care of this piece of the house, whatever it is, utilities, installation of doors, windows, when they do something wrong, it affects the whole project. It stops the whole project. When a piece doesn't do its part. And so more funds are grabbed at, you know, money is spent. Unfortunately, some of these housing development projects, they just fold. They never finish. 
And so there in the middle of a field, you see a framed house. That's never going to get done. Isn't it a sad sight? And we see so many of these housing projects just fail, and they stop. There's no progress. Summit Bible Church, let's not let that be us. Let's not be the unfinished, no progress house that's been abandoned and folds. You know how we can prevent that from happening? Each one of us doing our part. The ministers equip the saints for the work of service. The gifted saints serve, use their gifts for the building up of the body of Jesus Christ, and we will see the church grow. In stability, and as we come together and all function according to our parts, we're going to see every one of us become more like Jesus Christ himself, which we'll see, by the way, next week when we look at verses uh, 13 through 16. So are we doing our jobs? Are we doing our jobs? Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to look at these two very impactful verses. Just such a clear plan for how to grow our church, not numerically, Lord, even though that may be a fruit of it, but to grow in maturity to grow and to progress. God, I pray that for Summit Bible Church. I pray that each part would function. Each member would do our job for the growth of the church and the building up of your body. God, we know the promise Jesus Christ made. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. We trust in that promise, God. We know that you are the sovereign head of the church yet we are also responsible to do our part, to walk out our faith, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. God, I pray that we would do that, dependently obey, and work together, Lord, to grow the church into a healthy and vibrant community of people that become more like Jesus Christ. That's our goal, Lord. We want to be more like our Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.